0: Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community and the people that bring community to life. My guests today are artists Sebastian Hearn and Lisa Hurstman. German artists Lisa Hersman and Sebastian Hearn have worked together since 2012 on a variety of endeavors. They are currently part of a collaborative contributing to the project Outposts of Resistance, a multi staged research based documentary performance, dance and video work begun in 2015. Outposts of Resistance goes back to the international peace activists 2003 campaign Human Shields, intended to prevent the impending war on Iraq and examines the reasons and consequences of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Currently, as artists in residence at the Bemis Center for Contemporary Arts in Omaha, they plan to interview veterans who served in Iraq during 2003. Hearn has realized a large number of projects as a freelance director for theater and opera, ranging from unusual productions of classical operas or plays to performances or videos in Germany and abroad. His method of working transcends established disciplines and moves within the space between fine art, theatre, dance and music. It is characterised by a great joy for experiments and openness that often results in collaborations with visual artists, musicians, composers or scholars. Hussmann has worked on various art projects and with several institutions in Munich and Berlin. She is currently completing a PhD on settler primitivism in South Africa with the Department for Africa Art at Freier Universität Berlin, Lisa and Sebastian, thank you for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: Thank you. What are the origins of this project? So in the bio, I mentioned human shields as this sort of incipient element to this. So maybe talk a little bit about that, and then we'll talk about the project. So so human shields.
2: So the story of the project or history of the project is that a friend of mine, he was a camera student in 2003 and uh, he heard of the Human Shields campaign and he, in the radio actually, and he decided in the same night with his girlfriend and now his wife uh, to pick up a camera and join the campaign. Um, the campaign was a group of peace activists who came to the conclusion that uh, normal ways of protesting against the war wouldn't work anymore and had the idea to bring as many Westerners as possible to Iraq to make it Im- impossible to, to to bomb Iraq because they thought that the allied countries wouldn't risk to bomb their own citizens. And so they traveled with three London double-decker buses through Europe to get media attention. And um, Florian and Sarah Schilling um, went with them through Europe on the buses to Baghdad and took uh, images of the journey and made some interviews with the activists. And um, the campaign ended up that the original idea, the couldn't manage the original idea. I think at the peak there were about 500, 600 people in in Iraq, but not ten thousand, thousands as they thought in the beginning. And so instead of that, they like a small group of the activists shielded infrastructure sites which were bombed in the first Iraq War, and. Florian never edited the material to a documentary film. There's several reasons for that, but he told me about the the material, and I found it very interesting. And I thought maybe it wouldn't work for for film, but it would work for a kind of art installation or theater project. that could use it with other material together and I had it for years in my cupboard and nobody wanted to give money for that project and in 2015 there was an exhibition in Munich about art and politics and uh, they were interested in the project and we had a very not very much time and I asked Lisa um, if she can help me and so we went to to England and uh, Norway, and t- conducted interviews with the main characters or figures of the campaign of, of the human shields. And we uh, brought the material of 2003 and 2015 together and showed it in an in a, um, exhibition. And one year later, we went to Lebanon and to uh, conducted interviews with exiled Iraqis and NGOs. Uh, and made a more performance work out of the material, and out of this, all this material, we we continued working on and created a, a kind of video installation with uh, with dancers and actors or
0: performers. Yeah. Why the choice of that media so video and interpretation using performative art what why do you think that's the media you want to work with to tell this story
1: i think video makes sense when you have a lot of video material like documentary video material of this campaign so that is there to start with and then i mean the interviews We did afterwards, we also used in a video format in some of our work because obviously you see the person, if you just use the sound the whole visual element gets lost. But then if on top of that you also have a performer in the space who might repeat words or movements or behave towards that image in some way, whatever the person says gets transferred into the space. So the experience that the viewer has is a lot more direct and another level is added. And, I mean, we're talking about war, which is a very, very physical thing. And the goal of these activists was to put human bodies as human shields in a war situation. So to disregard that physical side for us would mean that we wouldn't do justice to the idea of the campaign.
2: And I think that in a way if you watch content on video and you see someone else transferring it directly to the audience you're also questioning the, the kind of perception. So in these different layers, we also discuss the way people understand the material or what is the truth about it. So, what is um, if you see a person, you if you always have immediately an idea who it is, what social background, things like that. If another person is speak on the same words you you get the idea that you have this opinion so we we discussing these things in the in the in our work as well and we had one of the activists who was in our um who took part in in our performance so we had this i have tell a little bit more about him because he, he is a very interesting figure he was he is a norwegian sociologist and he was working on people under pressure and actually he was looking for war and he heard in the radio from this campaign and thought, oh, this is his ticket to the war. And he let his beard grow, bought a uh, kind of um, hippie-looking jumper and ended the campaign and went with them to, uh, to Baghdad. And he was one of a few who stayed during the whole war in a water treatment plant. And so as a wrong activist, he became a real activist. And when the Marines entered the uh, water treatment plant, he joined them and stayed with them a couple of weeks and took interviews with the US Marines. He lived with them and got very close to them. And this was brought us to the idea, maybe it would be very interesting to talk to the soldiers as well so to get different perspectives
0: on the conflict so so your project and your work itself has seen some iterations and so it's staged and you just mentioned that some of these videos and some of the material you have uh, obtained has been paired with performances, and that and that has been uh, shown and uh, to the public, and, and they've interacted with it. But now you're at a phase where you've recognised that the voices of some of the soldiers is also an important part of this this narrative. So, with that, why don't I hand it back to to you both to tell us more about what you're doing as regards capturing some of those perspectives on on this project?
1: Yes, so I think we started this method when we went to beirut to speak to exiled iraqis because that was the first step to speak to a different side you might say that the peace activists and the iraqis are still similar because they would both be victims of the war they both opposed the war um but still we had a completely different angle. We had people describe what it was actually like to have these activists come over, to have the soldiers come over, what Iraq was like before any of this happened, even before the Iran-Iraq war or before the embargo. So um, the natural step for us after that was to then speak with American soldiers. And we were very fortunate because Gaia the Norwegian sociologist he really enjoyed working with us he enjoyed being part of the performance for him it was in a way living through this experience again which he found very exciting so throughout the process he was taking notes and he said he will write a book about this (laughs) I don't know if he actually will but he's still with us he's still part of our um, work and so He very kindly gave us these interviews that he did with the U.S. Marines when he lived with them. So we've got this audio material. And then, as we did with the activists, we thought it would be very interesting to speak to these individuals again. Now, with this temporal distance, with the knowledge of what happened afterwards. And um, that's why we're here in the U.S. We're traveling and we're speaking to veterans. And it is actually adding another perspective which sometimes doesn't even vary that much from what we have told before. Um, Gaia always said that as well, that within the activists and within the soldiers, you will find different personalities, you will find different political approaches. So actually every individual we speak to has a different approach, has made different experiences. So we're not just adding one new perspective, we're adding multiple new perspectives. We're adding as many new perspectives as individuals we speak with.
3: to me ah oh, oh. oh. i despise
0: about some of the conversations that you're having with these veterans both both in terms of the content of the conversations but also how you're managing those conversations in terms of the structure and the organization of them
2: the interviews we conduct are mostly in between two and three hours so uh, very long so we try really to to let people talk and we try not to have a a ready opinion, what we want to hear, we really try to understand the personality, the ex- uh, what the experience they made, um, and all the interviews we c- conducted until now, the people were spread all over the US, so we traveled a lot and we mostly went to their places and and talked to the, to the veterans uh there Um and yeah they have very different experiences we not only talked to veterans who served in uh, operation Iraqi freedom we also tried to talk to people who were in a desert storm and also to younger soldiers who came to Iraq later, like in 2007, eight, nine. And so we got different stories and experiences uh, from the time when they were in Iraq and they had different works to do in Iraq, uh, right? So um, some of them, Not went to Iraq not only once, some of them went there two or three times.
1: So what we tried to do is to understand what the person we're interviewing wants to talk about. What are their issues? What do they want to communicate? Because I think the reason for most people to talk to us at all, I mean, it's not an easy thing to talk about. They're sharing these experiences that are often traumatizing. So usually the reason for them to do this is because they feel unheard. They feel like their experiences, their voices don't matter in our society. We send them to war and when they come back, we're not interested in them anymore. So for us, it's important to give them a platform to say whatever they think society should hear and often we are told it's like therapy (laughs) so people I think appreciate this and like Sebastian said depending on whom we talk to the conversation will vary quite a lot we get people who want to talk about PTSD people want to talk about the loss they experienced people who want to talk about how they feel lied to by their government, put in a situation where they have to do things that they morally don't agree with, for an aim they morally don't agree with, then come back not allowed to talk about this, not really getting help to deal with this moral injury or emotional trauma.
0: So you mentioned earlier that part of the... Catalyst for this project spurred from some interest about the uh, juxtaposition of art and politics. And inherently, this is a project that some people might assume or assert there is a political message here. But I know that you have a particular uh, perspective on the nature of this project and political perspectives. And I wonder if I just want to ask you to talk about your views on that. I would say. As Lisa mentioned, that the
2: most important thing for us is to give different characters, different people, the space and the time really to talk about things, not just to answer in headlines or things what people want to to hear, to understand what it actually means to be in a war if you are an Iraqi or an US soldier. We all read about wars, we get news in the television, and but actually most people don't know what it is. So we really like to get personal stories, what it actually means, the experience, maybe what it means to kill somebody, and what happens after. Can you share that experience in our society? Does anybody care about this experience? It's easy to send someone to war and not to share it afterwards their experience. Um, so we try to get to tell or to give space for another way of thinking about History about our society, which is more to get deeper in the conflict and the biographies, as you usually get in the newspaper or something like that.
1: And in addition to these personal stories, we do talk about political stances. So we do ask our interviews, what they think. But their answers range from soldiers who said they saw proof of weapons of mass destruction being in Iraq to soldiers saying they were convinced even when they deployed that there were no such weapons and that the reasons were different from what they were being told. But we don't want to say this is right and this is wrong. We want to say that there is different approaches you can take there is different opinions and if you look at where this person comes from maybe you can understand why they think that way
0: so inherently i think what i'm hearing is that you're allowing the participants and the viewers of the project to begin to form their own relationship and their own perceptions Mm -hmm. but you yourselves are not approaching this work with a particular philosophy or political viewpoint to express I mean,
2: you can't avoid, if you're editing material, you can't avoid to get totally rid of your own opinion or your way of thinking. But what we try with the project is really to let the material speak for its own. So, give it back to the people, to the audience, to the viewers, to create their own opinion about it.
1: You might watch a documentary which was done by somebody who had an idea what they wanted to show right from the beginning and then they collect material that supports their opinion. That's the opposite of what we're doing. We try to not have an opinion and we're almost looking for people who have different views. So if we notice somebody says something that nobody else has said before we will want to draw that out of the person so that we can show there's so many different ways of looking at this and we don't have i mean we probably do have preconceptions but we don't want to verify our preconceptions we want to do the opposite
0: so how have audiences or people interacting with this project so far as it has been publicly presented so far, h- how have people responded to their experience of the work that you've created so far?
1: We definitely notice. usually when you do a performance piece or, or whatever, at the end people go, or if they stay, they drink a beer, they talk about their day and then they leave. What happened with this project was that people stayed for two hours afterwards because they wanted to talk about it. So definitely something happened that made people want to discuss this. I think often even art projects will present a particular point of view. You look at it, you think, ah, okay, that's what it's like. I can um, go on with my day now. I can have a beer and then go to bed or whatever. But with this, people get disturbed or people get rattled or I don't know how to say that, but there is something that happens that makes them want to talk about this rather than thinking, okay, I now understand the situation and can move on.
3: Wants to jump into your fire. You are a look in your eye, a dream passing by in the sky. I don't understand.
0: just after July 4th which of course is a a national day of celebration in America. There may be other days that are more heavily associated with the military but July 4th nonetheless is a day I think replete with patriotic imagery and messaging and you've been on the road so you're at the Bemis in Omaha with a residency and you've been using that as a sort of home base and a place to create some of your artwork, but you've been traveling America, and I just wonder, especially at this time of year, what sort of perspectives you're seeing about war generally, maybe art generally, people's reactions to all these foreign conflicts that we're still engaged with. What what are your perceptions of of this this country, this this cultural moment? I
2: mean, what I remember now from one interview that when you mentioned the Fourth of July, uh, the independence, it's kind of overwhelming. Everybody, I think you can't avoid that, and it's it's nice. I mean, I wouldn't say that it is nice. Uh, yeah, it's nice, and but it's interesting to hear of a veteran that he saw, not this year, but a year maybe one or two years before that people on the 4th of July went out on the streets and were rising up their flags and were stepping on homeless veterans who were lying on the street. So you have this contradiction that, it, that you find everywhere that They are people who are sent, or mostly very young people, who are sent to war to serve their country. And on the other hand, you get the impression that it's easy to, if someone is not hurt, is not wounded, to celebrate him as a hero. But what is happening when he is handicapped, Physically or mentally, does the society really care for that? And you get the impression that you could do it better. And, um, there's so many veterans who are homeless. We went to Tucson to a homeless veteran camp, and you find them everywhere. And you, it's hard to understand that fact and that's beside if you agreed to the war or not. It's just like people who, on what reason ever, they tried to do good. They come back and nobody cares.
0: How have you two changed as a result of this project? You embarked on this project several years ago now, and you've traveled extensively around the world You've met with a lot of people. You've been to several continents. I I can't imagine that you haven't been changed in some personal way by your experiences. But that's my assumption. So allow me to ask you, have you and how have you changed as people through this project?
1: I think maybe in general to try to get a better understanding of What circumstances led people to do certain things, or to say certain things, or to understand that... Well, situations are often very complicated, and it takes such a long time in order to understand something that you are not part of yourself, and that just talking to people helps a lot, especially listening to people. Taking people seriously, no matter what they say, because even if it sounds crazy to you, it might actually be true. Understanding that what is shown in the news or what is considered common knowledge is a very partial thing. I mean, these are things, I was aware of them before. It's not like this is something I'm now completely shocked by. But when you spend so much time Dealing with these topics and with people who experience things that are completely outside of the norm, you understand how partial it is.
2: Yeah, and and, and things become very lively if someone tells his personal story. It's it's more lively than pictures in the news, I think. And sometimes it's very hard to listen into it because they may, many people suffered so much because of this conflict on, on each side. And this is really important to tell that, that it's, yeah, you have to think about all these results and they are all sides and we are still dealing with the conflict. I would say that the change in Europe to the right in some countries are related to this conflict. So you are mostly not aware what things are really influenced by these things and when you ask how this project changed us, it's sometimes it makes makes me sad. But on the other hand, if you talk to someone two hours or three hours and then he says thank you for listening to me so long then you have the idea you think, okay, it's it's for something. It's good to do it.
0: do we get here? So this is a way of me asking, I want to hear about your upbringing, like where were you born? Where did you come from? What was your childhood like? And how did you move into this career of being artists?
1: I grew up close to Cologne. So my parents are actually from Northern Germany, but they both studied or worked in Cologne and then stayed there because usually People stay in Cologne. (laughs) If they're from Cologne, go somewhere else. They usually come back. (laughs) So I would say I had a very happy childhood there. I have one younger brother. And we lived in a place with a lot of other families, a lot of other children, usually being outside and playing together. I think my childhood was probably pretty normal. I learned to play the piano. I played field hockey. So... That's what you do, you pick an instrument, you pick a sport. (laughs) And then when I finished my A-levels, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I actually did something which, it's a course called Events Management. And it was in English, which I thought would be good. They had partner universities, so I went to Leeds to study there. And it had economics. So basically I thought, okay, this has various things that might be useful in the future. (laughs) I've never worked in this profession. (laughs) So after, so, but the good thing was that I had to do an internship, a placement. So my placement was in Munich with a contemporary arts curator. And basically, if I hadn't done this strange, course I wouldn't have worked for her and I probably would have done something very different but because I enjoyed working with artists so much I decided to pursue that kind of direction and I don't think my parents are very happy about it (laughs) I mean they're they're happy when I'm happy but because job chances are so bad in this kind of industry they really wish I was a doctor or a lawyer or an economist even, yes.
0: (laughs) I'm so disappointed that you've disappointed your parents.
1: (laughs) Maybe that's a bit harsh. I don't think they're actually disappointed. I think they would want an easier life for me. They would want me to do something where it's easy to find a job wherever I want to go so that if I wanna live in a certain city I would be able to and that I wouldn't have to worry about supporting myself. So I mean, they they love what we're doing. They When they came to see it, that was so nice because I think they finally understood what I was doing and that was actually a great, great moment. And they, they do support me a lot. But as most parents, I think they want an easy life for their child.
2: So I grew up in Munich, Bavaria. Um, I grew up in a kind of art family my grand-grandfather was a quite famous sculptor at this, his time uh, I grew up uh, with my grandparents as well Mike um, and it was a kind of open house so we were always many many people there and we had a lot of friends which were I, I think we were always like eight or ten people sitting together by table and they were very open and guest friendly and my mother my father died very early when I was five and um my grandparents and my mother they were always very open to guests so um a lot of people who got in troubles lived for a time in our house. So and I so I grew up with and grew up with different, different very different people and um even a friend of our family he, he came from Algeria and had to flee from there because of the, the war. And when he got divorced and he was very sad, he stayed in our house for two years. Um, so, yeah, I always liked to, to draw and I wanted to, to become a painter. And I I did this a lot when I was 14, 15 and, and then I became very interested in in language as well. And so I took a shift and and studied theater. I went, first I went to Berlin and studied at the Humboldt University. And then I went to Vienna to the Max Reinhardt Seminar and studied directing there. And uh, yeah, and then I worked as a freelance director and opera and opera director as well. And, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I didn't like so much to, to, to do it in a conventional way. So I, I was researching for ways to do it in a, another way or searched for places uh, for more free space to, to do it another way and and then I studied as well uh stage designing at, in Zürich. And yeah <laughs> and continue I'm continuing working since two thousand one. Yeah. I I think this work we are working on, Outposts of Resistance is It's very interesting because so many things come together here and I like very much to, to be in contact with people, to listen to them and to think about things, not to repeat things, just to find out. And maybe I like it that in this project, it happens so often that we Ourself were so irritated because you have your opinion. You meet somebody and you think, okay, he will answer in that direction, and you're so surprised that you find a soldier who's very peaceful. You find find an activist who is very like a warrior. Like <laughs> so, it's
0: always very surprisingly. When will this? product, project, outcome, when will that be visible for the public?
1: We, well, I mean, at the moment we're at the Bemis Center and they have open studios coming up. I think it's on the 21st and we hope to be able to show like a work in progress there, that will be purely video, no performance involved in that. <laughs> but, you know, something that will give an idea of what we're working on. And then we also have an art space in Berlin, a performance space, which is an old ballroom. And they want to show the end result. We're not 100% sure yet what that will look like. But we're trying to get funding and hopefully next year in June we can show it there.
0: And we are hoping to show it in the US as well, if you get the possibility. So... We talked about, I, I think, the project itself, that some of the content is really, maybe dark is a wrong word, but, but it's a, a deeply grounded moral subject with a lot of trauma as part of it and a lot to be learned from it too. But in your bio, there's this reference to your work being characterized by a great joy for experiments and openness that results in the nature of the work that you do. I just wonder if we as we come to a close if we might think about what is the joy that you get from from your work from the work you do with people from the nature of your collaborations um, maybe just with life generally what what's the what's the joy what do you look forward to
2: I I think there's much situations are kind of grotesque and then I I enjoy this grotesqueness <laughs> that for example Gaia told us at this water treatment plant, there was a Japanese dancer. She stayed as a human shield at the water treatment plant, but she was dancing every day on the roof of the water treatment plant, even during the bombing. So this is a kind of strange image, idea, if you think about a young dancer dancing on the roof of a water treatment plant while all these bombs drop on Baghdad. This is kind of, yeah, I like that, in a way.
1: (laughs) I think probably the greatest joy comes from speaking to people, from their appreciation of what we do. But for both of us, humour is quite an important thing. So there's so many absurdities and also some people, the way they talk about really horrible things, they do it in an entertaining way and probably that's what we're trying to do as well. So when we edit the material in the end, we're definitely approaching it with humor as well so that you can always appreciate the irony of a situation. As well as the sadness or...
2: Yeah, I I think otherwise you can't handle this grief and horror. Uh, Or it's getting like a morality show and people... I I don't like that. I, I mean, it's... Our lives are so contradictionous and... yeah the stories are contradictionist by itself and to to we try to get this from the people and to transform it in in our work
0: Live's radio show is supported by Humanities Nebraska, inspiring and enriching personal and public life by delivering opportunities to engage thoughtfully with history and culture. Learn more at humanitiesnebraska.org. I've been in conversation with Sebastian Hearn and Lisa Hurstman. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life.